Welcome back to Voicecraft. This is a podcast from the Elder Circle series, welcoming Laurel Erica, a woman with a unique creative intelligence and an incredible passion for word magic, as she calls it, and certainly embodies it. Her life's work centers around bringing awareness to the mysteries, marvels, and potencies of language, of the profound meanings of words which somehow go unnoticed even as we utter them. And it is fair to title this something like a tale about the corrupting mysteries of language and the sacred pathways out of it, a fairy godmother's tale. The Elder Circle series is an ongoing experiment to welcome beings who have traversed and are perhaps still traversing the creative ordeals life throws our way, to share the gift of their knowledge or genius to a gathered community. These sessions are available to attend for members of the Voicecraft Network, and in that way they also serve as an effort to develop just one distinct practice of welcoming voices into a community for the benefit of a broader commons. And so you're welcome along to this experiment that offers a unique and critical insight into a commons of profound importance to us all, one we're each influenced by and always influencing, our language and its resonance, not only what the words mean, but the intention of the utterance. I have edited this version a bit to suit a podcast release. Laurel shared a wonderful meditation before we began, which is cut from this version, as is about 20 minutes of additional reflection at the end. The whole version is available to members of the Voicecraft Network, as well as for patrons. For those seeking to support the project, but not apply to participate directly, patreon.com slash voicecraft is where to go. Contribution from patrons is the main line of support for the podcast and YouTube part of this project. So if you value this, if it means something to you, if you appreciate it when it pops up in your feed, then supporting it really is how you can help it. It matters a lot, and thank you to all those who do. And finally, for the month of December, Voicecraft is running a crowdfunding effort to support a series of live events in Melbourne over the course of 2023. These events will integrate the digital and also create content that I hope listeners will enjoy. There are a number of perks and event themes you can take a look at on the page. There's a link in the description, but you can also access it via the homepage at voicecraft.io. It's a fantastic way to support the project. Okay, here we go. It's a privilege to welcome you and thank you for welcoming us into this experience that I now feel well and truly energetically involved in. So I'm very much looking forward to it too. And as you know, this is a session with the title of Elder Circle. And what that really means is that the five of us here, including Journey, who's off screen at the moment, will be in dialogue with you, Laurel. And um, yeah. Thank you. This will be a first for me, except I, I, I lead writing groups. And so there's more people at once, but usually not quite this orchestra of voices. So we'll see how it goes. Well, I consider us already well and truly in it. From here on, please, no one look to me until later on in this session when I signal that we're moving towards a close if someone else doesn't do that. So from here on out. Uh, my logistical role is through and I'm actually going to end that with pointing things over actually to Tom because Tom I think what you were expressing just before we turned on the recording button might actually be a, a beautiful way to begin so if you don't mind sharing that perspective or perhaps another that's alive for you I'd be really curious to 
hear how Laurel relates to that as an opening into this exploration together. Thanks, Tim. So what I said was, it seems like we're entering into a time where more and more people are going to be saying the right words. And it's going to become more about discerning where those words are coming from and the energetic resonance coming through the words. Over the last couple of months, I've spent a lot of time reviewing and analyzing various projects in these sort of internet spaces. And there's a lot of the same words. And I notice at this point, I actually sort of find myself dropping out of the semantic space and down into the actual emotional resonance of the words. And the, the, the word that came to mind to describe this for me was the religious impulse. Like how, how strong is that sort of fiery flame coming through people as they're speaking? And so, yeah, may, maybe you can riff off of that. Well, what when you're speaking of the fire of religious impulse, are you talking about people who would describe themselves as born again, someone with a deep uh, Christian perspective, or are you talking about a, a, an awakening that has no religious denomination? Yeah, I mean, more generally, a sort of a coming alive, the sense of reconnecting with something like Eros and really feeling compelled back into the world into sort of states of expansion. Yes, well, um, every seed has its moment to bloom. And with some seeds only bloom after a wildfire. So nature has receded, mother, father nature receded itself in us and through us to bring forth the genius that is so evident in all her creation. And yet we have, we have been misguided to think that we ourselves are, are not genius. I was looking at a plant once a couple of years ago and I thought, what a genius plant that is. And then I realized every plant is a genius plant. The whole creation is genius, <clears throat> which means so are we. So yes, people, there will come a time when the language is more tuned up and then everything, I guess, moves toward entropy and, and all, all sorts of stuff. So people have been able to say the right things uh, that for a swindle, a lie, um, even before, you know, even when we're in a language that is in um, such an odd condition and greatly in need of a global tune-up that we can do um, for our own pleasure and uh, profit, meaning opening up to allow divine wisdom to come in and make a profit of us and then a place to send it in where um, if it is selected for marketing or something else um, to profit from it. So you talked about arrows and 
Eros, the god of love and sensual pleasure. And what I've discovered over the years is that one's ability to have very exquisite sensations does not need to you know, be limited to the base chakra and the mouth. Um, that we can speak beauty. And because we're living in a universe where everything is echoing, reverberating, and mirroring, the more we are speaking from our heart, the more beauty we'll be creating within and around us. And as for genius, uh, because I have been so deeply informed just by looking at words, um, I see in that genie us. Each one of us has magical creative powers. And no one is left out of that. I grew up not knowing I was smart and then realized at a certain point that genius is not, is, is an inborn capacity. Each maybe tuned to a particular frequency of genius that we bring through that may not even be recognized by a school at this point, but it's something unique you're going to bring through, which is my what my experience has been at a time when I was first exploring words as a little girl, um, the idea that words might be more closely related through sound than meaning was considered absurd and um, all sorts of stuff. So, but the genius also known as the daemon, D-A-I-M-O-N, um, associated with demon because you're not supposed to have your own pipeline to the divine, but your daemon is this genius that um, wants to live your best life through your uh, vehicle. And, um, Sometimes it's in the background for some people, but I think the daemon is part of what is <clears throat> waking up in people. And I mentioned the word entelechy, which means an actuality versus a potentiality, but it also means that inner force that um, urges you to self-actualize. And I, I analogize it with an acorn. That is one tough shell. And there has to be such a, an impulse in that little nut in the center, um, that little soft nut, which is like a, um, a cosmic computer chip with the whole blueprint for, um, I mean, talk about 3D printing. This is out of nothing. And comes an oak that can last for um, I certainly a century, possibly more, nourish all sorts of beings, uh, create firewood, all sorts of stuff. That impulse to crack the nut and birth the seed, and then it is in a perilous condition for insects and birds and, and uh, rodents, and yet some of that have, have it to make it through, and they do. And I believe that what's waking up in all of us that you referred to, Tom, as a religious impulse, I believe it's the impulse to self-actualize because each one of us is the infinite in finite form. And who wants to be anything less than the fullness of their being? There's nothing on the outside that you could possibly have 
that would be as sweet and delicious, which brings me back to Eros, um, god of sensual pleasure. And wouldn't you know it, it's right smack at the center of the word generosity. So kindness extended to others creates an exquisite sensation of higher vibrations that lift our consciousness and on opportunities gives us the the chance to taste bliss for a moment or two because you have just created a contribution to someone's life synchronistically and that is so um, inspiring and empowering for them. So that's what I think the religious impulse is. It's the same one that the caterpillar feels when it's ready to sacrifice its whole existence, melt down in its little sarcophagus or cocoon. You don't know for certain when you enter it, um, but to emerge a butterfly. And this, I believe, is our time to fly together. Thank you. Did I finish the whole subject? <laughs> Was there nothing left unsaid? Oh, I just, think. No, so I was just uh, being with your words for a moment. Oh, um, thank you. I shouldn't have interrupted. No, it's um, beautiful. I um I'm just curious as I hear you speaking to Tom for the sake of people that are watching or listening to you for the first time I'm very curious about when you mentioned that you um as a little girl um started exploring words and um the the scent um how did you did you say that the felt experience of them as opposed to the meaning and I'm really the curious sound the sound the, the sound, sound. So I'm really curious if you could share a little bit more of that. Yes. That journey. So, yeah. I'd be happy to. I wrote what I call my fairyography. And it's about an elemental, elemental being who goes, takes the opposite journey of Alice. She goes from nature into this dimension through the looking glass. And... Um, she is confused. She made a, a, a left turn and it wasn't right. And so um, she has to ultimately, once she figures out what's happened, she has to deconstruct the language to find her way back home again. And that piece, it's called The Rites of Passion of Philomela Nightingale, A Fairy's Tale. And that really tells my story, but on a metaphoric allegoric level. And I have several chapters available on YouTube. It's quite a large piece. Um, there's some pieces I just love in it. Well, I, I love many, many of them. And it was in a period of my life when I was just doing whatever job would bring in money and uh, working on my own work evenings and weekends. And, and see, there's that word, weekend. So 
what I was discovering as you, if you have any familiarity with my work, is that the language is echoing us in ways that weaken us. It's holding up a sonic mirror all the time that is reflecting back to us that life is miserable, that, um, that everything is split and oppositional and that women are inferior and that you have to do it exactly right in this one lifetime or you go to hell forever. It's been not so easy for people to get to remember who they are and to be truly who they are. So I had one of those upbringings of the normal insanity of civilized society. And one of the pieces I have in process is called um, Being of Sound Mind, How Word Magic Wordplay Saved My Sanity, Awakened My Awareness to the Matrix of Reality and What It Can Do for You. And I haven't had a chance to finish it, but I shall. Everything gets finished in the right moment. It's just astounding how that happens. So I started out in human terms. I started out at three or four, or maybe a little younger. At that age, three or four, I recall saying to my mother, I bet I now know all the words in the English language. And she said, I bet you don't, and spoke a word I'd never heard before. And I said, well, what language was that? So I didn't remember that story until somewhere, where was it? Yeah, somewhere in the early 80s, I shared it with someone. And he said, you ought to send it in to Reader's Digest as, um, a, you know, a smart thing your little niece said. And I, I, you know, I contemplated, was that a smart thing to say? Because I had absolutely no reflection of my own intelligence uh, from the parents who were threatened uh, by it, I'm sure, and so insecure. And then when I would do very well in school with very little effort, because I could just tune in to my own stream of consciousness and I would get a good grade, he would tell me um, anyway, negative things. So I grew up without a mirror and I was aware of reverberating sounds all around me that were portraying another picture than the one that was intended to be communicated. So I will now tell you the fairy's version of her experience. The first, what I call preamble, and to amble is to saunter, to walk comfortably. So I had one of my many often extraordinarily absurd jobs um, I, where I, I found the word sinecure by chance in the dictionary and it defined my position. It was a well-paying position demanding little or no work. So there were quite a few of those. And on one occasion, alone in a now deserted office, I guess I was there to answer phones, which never rang, but I took a hit of grass and 
a little piece I'll share right now came through. I call it preamble. <clears throat> Do you know that I flutter with butterflies? That my heart beats like hummingbird wings? Do you know I'm the kind of a natural mind that knows what the hummingbird sings? May I? give you a tour of the garden just once through and you too will see that the lord has just granted your pardon you've been given permission to be so that was the only little poem i can think of that wrote itself uh, the others they've given me hints and and we've co-created the rest but at that time, when I recited it to myself, reading it for the first time after writing it, I said, wow, that's my grandmother fairy in the tea garden voice. And I was a, a young woman in my early 30s. So the idea of self-belief was extremely foreign to me. I could say self-be-a-leaf. I identified so closely with the plant kingdom, but to believe in this self was hypocrisy, it seemed to me. Similarly, I did not know what garden I was giving anyone a tour of. And then years later, I realized it was the garden of verses I created. And one of the reasons I wrote in verse a lot, now I have digressed enormously, and obviously I can keep going nonstop. And this might not be the direction you would like to take the conversation. And I know there are others who might also like to speak. So I am stopping in this moment to see where you might like to go. I was really enjoying your storytelling I was appreciating just having more of a sense of you and what's informing your work and and I think through through your stories I was getting a sense of that so yeah that sounds beautiful oh. and thank you so much that's so helpful um so where I was going with that let me find it Hmm. The garden, we are all ready to blossom. And that is the impulse. And it's almost like the earth is pushing us upward. And for many years, I practiced a form of Buddhism called um, Nichiren Buddhism. And there was the description of what of, of bodhisattvas rising from the earth. And it's like that. I think about trees as human beings from the plant family. And, and we were like, and, and once I was just aspiring to be someone through whom blessings unfold and, and um, scented air and nourishment on all sorts of levels. And, and it was kind of avataric in my understanding of the original meaning of the word, which is the embodied descent of um, very highly evolved being into flesh. Now it's our ego's projection in an artificial world. So it's sort of got flipped on its head. But um, that being the case, here's what my fairy says now that she's here. 
I am a fairy of the garden variety, which is not an easy thing to be in civilized society. It's challenging to fully flower when no one thinks you're real and harder still to fit right in when you've two wings you must conceal. I had at first believed that all perceived exactly as I did, which is a natural conclusion that one makes when one's a kid, but most especially when the adult world refers to birds and bees to introduce a child to nature's most delicious mysteries and to explain the way new branches grow on people's family trees. Well, I'd always known each leaf and stone had stories they could tell and that the seas speak through the trees, just at, that the breeze speaks through the trees, just as the seas speak through a shell, because I share some roots with trees. I read their dancing leaves with ease and even sing with nightingales. My sisters call me Philomela. Just as the hummingbirds search flowers to find the lyrics to their song, so I would tune myself to crickets and go chirping all day long. For this was simply second nature, and I thought it what they meant. Can you imagine my amazement when I found out that they didn't? Well, I simply couldn't fathom how I'd gotten to this space because my whole frame of reference comes from such a different place. I thought perhaps that I had wandered through the looking glass and pondered how to find my way back home again through this world of mirrors and paradox. I was born in upside down town to the king and queen of backward land. I spoke another language which they had to twist to understand. The king was sowing sorrow and the queen was reaping grief. I held my dreams but lost my way, confused beyond belief. How ossified the king in patriarchal misconceptions, and how brilliant was the queen in monumental self-deceptions. And I wish that I could say that they were singular exceptions, but they were the rule. So I know you'll confirm it with your reflections. It was as if I'd grown invisible by taking human form, which can lead anyone to wonder why they bothered to be born. I was perceived not as an entity with her own divine identity, but as a daughter who must be persuaded to conform. And that's page one 
of a very lengthy piece that describes and distills my life journey. And one of the reasons I got into sharing word magic in verse, I mean, our paths, I was just saying to someone, when we're on our path and we're following our magnetic boots, wearing our magnetic boots and navigating by magnetism, the um, allies who come in to offer support so divine and synchronous and exquisitely beautiful. So um, I had written a manuscript in the 80s called Psychosemantics English in Translation, spelled T-R-A-N-C-E-Lation. No one was actually looking at things in the way that I was at that time that I know of. A um, few years later, a decade or more, I read a book uh, a collection of essays by advanced linguists on, you know, on the, in terms of university advanced. Um, and a lot of them were about wordplay and, the, and, and in many languages, anagrams and puns and historically and et cetera, et cetera. But the point of it was I, I found a lot of validation for my intuitively derived perspective. However, I do believe I reached out to the editor and got a polite condescending brush off. But I have sort of the sense that that may be how they all treat each other, <laughs> you know, in, in um, uh, some of the departments at a university. Um, in any case, I was told, I brought in psychosemantics, English in translation, um, a very glib editor there was just rapidly fingering through the pages, glancing and saying, oh, all very interesting and consistent with semiotics and deconstructionism, which I had never heard of before. And he said, without a PhD, you can forget it. So I knew I wasn't going to go that route. And a few years later, I was a student um, of Reverend Michael Bernard Beckwith and uh, of the Agape International Spiritual Center, quite well known, particularly in the States. In any case, um, in, I guess, completing a, a semester, we were supposed to do some creative expression of what this closer walk with God means meant to you or means to you. And so I I was intimidated. I didn't I hadn't written a poem in many years. I considered it braiding the language. Didn't know if I could do that anymore. Um, just lack of self-worth and um, so I went to my favorite wilderness park called Charmley, and it is an enchanted realm. I um, was alone in these 550 acres of paths and oak forests, and um, I saw a large lizard in the road. I asked for permission to sit with it, and uh, it was granted, and we were there, I don't know, 30, 40 minutes. I didn't keep track of time, but I did take notes. I shared my angst that I just wasn't up to the task of creating a poem. And um, what I heard among other things, but this is the one I retained was, quality is never the issue, authenticity is. And I think that's a very good guide to be yourself and um, the work will speak for itself. 
So I was turned down by, yeah, by the editor. Um, I did manage to write a poem called First Person Singular, which is available through a donation on my Patreon page. And ultimately, um, a man who had an alternative New Age record label heard me, asked if I'd like to do an album of my verse, gave me a very um, significant advance, and I turned everything I had discovered about words into nursery rhyme. So then I didn't have to go up against any sort of academic looking to um, gain more merit by putting someone else down. Um, I could just go straight to the people. And so, as I said earlier, I had, well, in case your audience hasn't found my uh, video called The Secret Spells of the English Language, it's a very succinct summation of what I found in the language. It is not an isolated instant. It is a, um, an endemic situation. So I put together this life sentence, which goes, we awake each morning and go off during the weekdays to earn our living at various jobs and undertakings until we come to the weekend. And everyone agrees that that's the way of things. And more people die of heart failure between 6 and 10 a.m. Monday morning than any other time of the week. And I have verified that with medical people. I had first heard it from Deepak Chopra. So people die um, rather than go to work. They are dying to go to work um, or, or not to. So to translate that life sentence, spelled again, T-R-A-N-C-E, with the recognition that words cast spells, they put us in a daze, which is why zombies are such a, probably a hot topic, because most people are operating at that level of consciousness. So I put together the life sentence. Uh, Awake is a funeral party for the dead. Mourning is the state you're in when you um, attend awake. You would have to be staggering around through life in a weekdays to earn the living since urns are for the ashes of the dead. We race to meet deadlines. We call our jobs undertakings. Job itself is a Hebrew word for persecuted. And what we get at the end of this perverse bargain with life is progressively weakened ourselves. So uh, when I was at Agape, I had, um, I had that sentence, but I also had a kind of a so what with it. You know, this is fascinating, but what's the, you know, so what? Then I realized that Language is the software of the mind, and English is the leading software of the Western world. And it is filled with cultural biases akin to computer viruses that infect our thinking with an antiquated and manipulated vision of reality promulgated by the church as an instrument of mind control at a time when people had to surrender their minds if they wanted to keep their heads about them. So that's essentially the theory. And 
I found someone handed me a letter to the editor after I had recognized this called Corrupted Language, The Great Destroyer. I, it's from, uh, I think, January of 1999. It quotes Orwell as saying politics corrupts language and language once corrupted has corrupting real world influence. It quotes Socrates as saying, incorrect language is not only in itself a mistake, it implants evil in men's souls. And Confucius is quoted as saying, when asked what he would do first, if given charge of the administration of a country, he said the first thing he would do would be to correct the language. For if what is said is not what is meant, then what needs to get done remains undone. If this remains undone, arts and justice uh, go astray. Um, arts and morals go, uh, go anyway. Uh, and people stand around in helpless confusion. And so <clears throat> what uh, playing with words since early childhood, uh, it, someone told me a, a bat had flown out of a box and landed in the tree outside. And I ran to standing by the tree and at some point realized I was expecting a baseball bat, but that was probably not what was meant. And that's when I got a sense in my memory, in the retelling of my myth to me, it was then that I learned that two unrelated things could share their name. And then, um, and so I started pursuing puns or homonyms, uh, same name. Uh, puns are the jokes you make with homonyms. Um, I started pursuing them, they were at the time and had been for centuries considered the lowest form of humor. Never mind that uh, James Joyce and William Shakespeare, the greatest writers of the English language were master punsters. Still puns are considered a low form of humor. So it's one of those, don't look over here. No, no, nothing going on over here. Let's look elsewhere. We are trained to be oblivious to the obvious. Um, in the Bible, it talks about the handwriting on the wall. Well, in fact, the handwriting is all over the English language. And the English language is the most spoken language on the planet. Um, consider accounting in those who speak it for a second language. I think that's how it works, that it's more than, I guess, Mandarin. But quite a few people speak the language, are programmed in these resonant echoes that might be a downer like um, job and um, persecuted, like Job. I mean, all of these, and it is constant, but there's also what I call sacred path words. And when we don't look to see the wisdom that's already in our words and in the symbols of the alphabet, we don't get informed in, in a way that can awaken us. One of the ways I've recently come to describe what I do is, um, uh, let's see, synchronic mystolinguisticism, self-awakening wordplay on beyond the leading edge. Oh, I know what it was. It's ohm grown, grass-fed, synergistic mystolinguisticism. So I honor the divine intelligence in that plentiful plant called uh, 
by many names. Um, she has been a, a, a great awakener and teacher for me. I have never or opened the doorway for my receptivity to higher dimensional intelligence. And I, I have it rarely and only as an edible and in small doses, like in the moment, about an hour before we convened, I took five milligrams of a lovely little candy. And it allows me to be my uh, ultra dimensional self instead of the kind of rather shy uh, human one. So I turned everything into performance art, given this um, advance by a record company executive. However, his company was swallowed up by Virgin Records before we did our work. So there were many instances where word magic almost went out in the world in a big way. And it's by some divine blessedness that it did not because I am more who I am than ever before. And I'm aware of the pathway to go even deeper. And that's my commitment is to be as awake and embodied and catalytic and entertaining as possible so that, that people um, find their own sensory connections to the matrix. And I saw a wonderful program, um, Greg Braden on language and the matrix about how our words wire up our brain and wire up our connection to the matrix. So our language, English, has nightmarish visions of reality in it that as that one life sentence describes. I mean, it is ugly. This whole idea that um, life is a living death where you are performing tasks routinely that you never need to wake up for <laughs> because you're running on automatic like a robot. So, um, I like the idea of our collectively, creatively tuning up the language to a higher frequency through our linguistic creativity and naturally occurring verbal eccentricities. Beautiful. Thank you. Beautiful. Thank you. I feel like there is a lot to metabolize here. So Laurel, can I uh, suggest this to us all and invite this that those of us who have been here and, and listening take some time now to share with each other some of mm -hmm. our reflections of what we're hearing and in the interests of time we'll try to compress and so maybe this won't be immediately passing back to you give you a little bit of time okay. to recover but but also for us to be able to reflect a little bit to you what we're hearing because I feel that you um, shared a you know a wonderful essence of your being in the world and your purpose and um, and it's a beautiful thing to listen to and there's also a lot there and I feel like we're getting it I I I feel that'll be there among us so um, let's see and then perhaps through that reflection will then be able to move this in a way which feels um, 
or really worthwhile and also generative for you as well and and for all of us because i think what you're pointing at is deeply important and i think it's worth drawing into some other language and different kinds of expressions to make this more accessible to people what i seem to have observed that there there is a witnessing or a testimony here and now from a vessel which is stating that within there is always a seed of becoming uh, moreness and unfolding and that if we presume to understand the ways in which our world is shaped by the words that we both hear and speak there is perhaps within it a gateway or an unfolding or an unlocking or a fertilizing or a nurturing that allows that seed to grow and as I was listening, I was thinking, but from whence comes this particular flower blooming as she does? And not every acorn falls on fertile field. And sometimes the shade, dappled as it is, descends and the seeds dwindle. What is it that feeds that tender shoot? Is the flower unfolding is the call to buzzing bee, but the death of a future tree. The roots beneath and the mushrooms that spread between give it some other something that it's missing. What is that thing that nourishes Laurel, that nourished her? and clearly still gives her a kind of grace. This is my question. How did that sun descend? And did you want me to respond or, or let others, how, what role am I playing as more than witness, as respondent, if you like? Well, I'll actually ask Tyler because I, I feel as though that, that turned into a question that was, um, that was said from the heart and so, that can blow up any structure I've set as far as I'm concerned. So Tyler, would well, you, you like Laurel to respond? She, she moved, so let us not. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I'm happy her. to share it if and if you want. Um, well, again, it's that daemon. That's that part that came to self-actualize um, and is unrelenting, and. I have felt like a century plant. It's taken quite a while. As a young person, I felt like a plant that had been knocked over. So most of its roots were exposed. And I, I also, I have a, anyway, very adverse situation. And, and where I found sanity and peace and relief and a reason for being was in my relationship with words and how we weave together. And I really feel a lot like I am an English language elemental in, in this life, that I'm here to help humans tune up the language. So it's creating the Eden we'd all like to be in. We have condemned ourselves 
as we speak and write constantly, trash talking, insulting other people, allowing rage to fire out of our hearts and mouths, all of those things. I mean, we're just burning up the life stream. And so my life stream was not much fun at all, but it's like a plant's insistence on growing up toward the sun, even though it has to make room between two slabs of concrete or a tree, a sapling that somehow sprouted in a stone. And even as a, a, a sapling um, split the stone open. And recently I saw a wonderful documentary on pbs.org, which I'm sure you could get. And it's called um, Becoming Frederick Douglass. And it's about a man who was born a, a slave. I mean, taken from his mother, taken from his grandmother. I mean, the abuses they heaped upon other people as if they weren't other people. He was so beaten and he he escaped and he rose to became to become an international statesman, an orator. Um, he was self-educated. He became a voice for abolishing slavery and was evidently very persuasive with um, President Abraham Lincoln telling him this war must not simply be to preserve the Union, but to free the slaves. So this is a slave who, so I guess the point is, I had a crushing existence, not much fun at all, um, enormous depression, a lot of aloneness, and oh my gosh, the the ability to go into words and have such intimacy with them now gives me like a, a kind of a superpower. And I can use them in ways that um, help people recollect who they truly are and what they came in to do. And I had a dream a number of years ago where I was listening to a very advanced linguist speak and I only remember the tail end of what he said, but he said, when we evolve the language, when the language is evolved, the new beings coming in won't have to forget who they are or why they came here. So I, I have a whole poem, a vision in verse called Open Heart Synchrony, which is a, an outpicturing of what we can create collectively when we're speaking beauty and have evolved the language. Um, I think of the cosmos as our universal heart drive. When we connect in uh, through our heart mind to the infinite, we have infinite love intelligence eager to make love with us and express through us. And so the uh, word magic literary lotto will be uh, incentivizing people to cultivate that relationship with the divine. So the eros in generosity, um, being, being so open and the, uh, the universe is so generous and our generosity, our opening to find the generosity of 
purpose to find and to receive words um, of insights into a word or two or the creation of a phrase or a symbol of the alphabet that symbolizes something of our more exquisite nature. I have been reading a little about Sanskrit and it was um, the language that was created in a culture that was dedicated to self-actualization. So there are words in Sanskrit that talk about states and levels of consciousness that we can't fathom because we can't even conceive of them. We have no word for it. So clearly, this is the time, and many have called for it, starting, at least from what I found, starting with Confucius, saying, the first thing you have to do is correct the language. And Orwell said about politics corrupts language, and language, once corrupted, has corrupting real-world influence. But we can begin to make a difference by starting at the verbal end. So if in the beginning there was the word, then in the end there is the word. And how can we tune up this magical composition that plays us all as its human instruments so that we're sounding um, high notes for a truer reality in which our divine being can play and create um, exquisitely for the benefit of everyone. So that's the answer to that question, a vision that Reverend Michael would say, pain pushes until the vision pulls. So that was my experience. It's like many times I wanted not to be alive, didn't like um, embodiment, um, but the idea of leaving early before I got to complete what I have paid a very high price to create. Oh my goodness, no, I'm I'm here till um till time to depart and with the intention of sharing what I've learned as a growing plant of language <laughs> um, uh, to many people like a like a sacred vine <laughs> so that it just awakens. I just discovered what we all already know. And I point it out, and then people start seeing it all around them all the time and speaking with greater care, consciousness, and beauty. Anyway, that's the intention. There's a few things that are coming up for me, and, I, and I, uh, I'm mindful that I'd love to hear others as well, so I won't take too long, but I was just wanted to reflect that I, my felt experience of this conversation, I noticed that it's really... Um, my heart and down into my body so it feels really and it feels so I'm I'm perceiving it from that place in in myself and I'm also noticing that uh, at moments just the energy here of this room and and I wonder if it's translated to people to, to hear it it feels like when you say the magic and the vines and it feels like this collective painting. It feels like you're painting in a canvas with words. That's the the, the so it's very colorful to me. It feels very colorful and enjoy, enjoyable. Even if at times I miss some things or don't understand the actual meaning of it, I'm not stuck on that. I just I I'm, I'm experiencing it as, as going to a on a journey with you on a labyrinth on a on a magical ride, and it feels really it feels like it's working me. Um, 
the, that was my reflection but one question maybe to you and and I I'm not even sure if you would be able to answer but it's something I'll be reflecting upon is that my first so my first language is Portuguese that's my first language English is my second language and I lived in China as well so I I remember understanding China the, even the mind of Chinese people, as I started studying Chinese, I was like, ah, that's what they, because when they speak English, they speak, the, the, the way they reinforce some words was different than the, the mind of a person that was born in, in an English culture. Whereas I know that when I have to speak Portuguese now, my relationship with Portuguese is younger and more concrete. But the way that I engage with English, and I'm wondering if foreigners would have that, or I don't know, um, is that I stretch the meaning. Like to me, I, I stretch, so I'm not very, um, and I don't do that to, to Portuguese. So for example, job, when you said job, to me, uh, because I wasn't raised in English, I'm wondering if if there is a playfulness with learning a language later on in which, I just stretch them more naturally, like more naturally, I'm more metaphorical in the way I speak. And I notice that sometimes it causes misunderstanding with people that are uh, first language speakers because they, they want to compress it. And I always have the, the felt experience that's compressing the meaning too small. So maybe that's what you mean by it. I'm like, no, 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 it's much, no, it's, it's bigger what I mean. But then the, um, they tried to put it in a box to fit and whereas the meaning was coming from a different place. <coughs> I'm just wondering as I hear you. Well, it's, um, I speak only English and I, um, you know, I don't feel wonderful about it. I never was much of a student. I did, you know, a little bit of French, a little bit of Italian, a little bit of Spanish. So in any case, I speak it on multiple layers. I think, everyone has their own relationship with how they're wired up. And I would be very interested if you were to inquire of friends um, what you were expressing here. And yes, I um, metaphor is my first language too. It's, it's like multidimensional pictures in words that make it possible to see something reiterated <laughs> so yeah all the exploring you feel inclined to do I know it will be very informing and the the blessing of having a um having three languages or you know to whatever extent you do know Chinese that you oh I okay I thought that's what you said English Portuguese wasn't there a third um, yes, actually, my, my father was French, so I, I French ah. and Spanish is more familiar. But I lived in China, so it's just that's oh, just that's a, what it yeah, was. trying to a little bit of China, mm. Chinese. Okay, so I forget what professor of psychology or linguistics said something like, uh, "To speak two languages is to have two souls." It's like each is a, the word is the lens on the world, and as one language frames reality and my particular focus has been like words that are like magnets, rhymes and same sound, even though they don't share the same meaning. So 
uh, it's endless exploration and the recognition that this is the software and we get to rewrite the program. So thank you. I, I don't know that that was a satisfying answer. Would enjoy to have more time covering that with you. Well, I think one thing it does point to is that no particular word or no particular set of words is exhaustive of way to connect with truth. That's one thing I hear there. Well, I'm not quite sure. When you say no particular word or set of words, are you talking about a particular language or a few phrases? That differences in language is an example of that. There are many, on the face of it, different combinations of letters, which yes. seem to me integrate efforts at communicating that, which is common to multiple languages. And so we must as well be speaking about the manner by which, in some sense, and I'm, maybe we could use words like sort of um, energetic resonance. What does that mean, right? There's a lot to, to say about that. But there's something of the intentionality, and there's something of to the relationship between those who are sharing and receiving which would seem to be as important, if not more fundamental than the particular word itself. Oh, I would, I would agree, absolutely. I think everything contributes. If you remember messages from water, there must be dust, sorry, flying about. Masaro Emoto's books, uh, Messages from Water. Uh, are you familiar with that? Okay, so yes. some of the patterns came just with printed words taped to the bottle of pre-tested distilled water. So don't underestimate the power of the sound and the symbol. And yes, there are other factors as well. Right, right. So beautiful. That's, that's where I seem to be drawn to inquire further. Let me share a little bit of my energetic state in being here with this because um, it's, uh, you know, obviously I, I've been, in, been involved in bringing this into being and I, I heard you and I thought, what an incredible being. This is someone I'd love to share with people who I care about. I think there's a really important message in here. And um, that's coming from uh, an important part of me. It's There's also a part of me which is reflective of my own personal journey of um, uh, idiosyncratically biting my way into the mystery of the universe. And that kind of wants to do what it wants to do. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and I try to, to balance these things and, and create a, a whole um, uh, acceptable way of being in relationship to others with respect. So there's something about this um there's something about the there's something in maybe what Tyler's um pointing to a little bit when he's wondering about the the mycelial connections right underground with a mushroom to the tree the 
the manner how it is that a particular acorn as you mentioned earlier makes it through that vulnerable stage once it's opened up right and of course many don't and in principle that's because the immediate connections they find themselves in go i'll have some of you right we're not going to quite collaborate sufficiently in order to enable the becoming of that particular acorn or seed and so it makes me consider access points for those listening and others in the future to allowing in their relationship to this mystery of language and the kind of energetic imprinting and this narrowing but also an opening potential the very way in which we communicate can play and have for us as psyches in relationship to others uh, you mentioned puns for instance as being often degraded and remarkably i was not someone who um, degraded puns but i was distasteful for a long time of the humor associated with puns right which is super interesting because now i'm here doing this and it's not because i didn't find that the and i'm certainly at, when i was very young I, I don't think i understood the um the the uh the illuminating capacity of the kind of double entendre and the the way in which language can open up like that and i've since come to love that but what i found um what i found uh not attractive to me about the way that some puns were done was because they seemed cheap right they were they were coming from a place of humor that was not actually aspiring in my eyes to be with the mystery that the puns themselves might actually reveal many of the ones you've shared and particularly in the um one of those poems there that you invite people to see as sort of the introduction to your work that you know the connections for instance between job and um and the answer to job for instance that kind of story that element that we work ourselves to death there's a sense in which the um when we encounter the um the the walls closing in around us of an addictive pattern that we feel um that we actually feel we have to perpetuate as a means of sustaining our vitality to see other than that can be powerfully confronting and shocking right and so there's something about what it would be to really open oneself up to the to the the truth of um, the message and the, the truth of the insight that you have to share uh, one of the kind of uh, there's there's a there's a warm and a loving and a mystical way the way of the fairy of opening that up and part of the energy i feel as a being to reflect back to you i have a bit of an energy that's a little bit more um as well because I, the painting with words is beautiful. I've often aspired to this type of thing, um, even having some named sessions where that was the explicit effort was painting with words. Uh, but there's also something. Um, there's also something that that's. Uh, it's it's where the it's where the it's where the horror aspect of the awe. It's where the it's where the overwhelming juxtaposition the 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 horizon as a kind of void <laughs> that that can also be opened up and uh, this is some of the interesting energy and, and tension that i'm feeling in terms of where my where my soul wants to be wants to be it wants to kind of it wants to it wants to bring a little bit of this uh of this uh tremendous challenge 
that the acorn as it opens up and sometimes isn't always enabled to become faces. And so part of this work and part of the effort of this is to create contexts in which progressively more capacity to open and enable and nurture connection across a plurality of seedling types, right, is, is possible. Um, and so anyway, this is just some of the energy that I have to share after listening to so much. So thank you for listening. But it's been, I really do believe you've communicated uh, an essence of your message so well. And I'm very grateful for you sharing it. Thank you for the opportunity. And can I just tack a question on the end of that? Oh, yeah. So the which is which is the greater sin then? Is it describing the Grand Canyon as just a hole in the ground? Or is it spending hours elaborating on the infinite possibilities of a minor ditch in your backyard? Well, is it, are those the only two choices? Yes, I love giving him uh, false dichotomies. It's Oh, is that to him? Is that uh, you, to Oh, Tim? by all means, yeah, there, there are no limitations with regards to the response. Well, did you want to respond, Tim? I would need some time to to figure my way through it. Uh, I'd have to ask, what do you mean? But maybe Laurel, you understand it. Well, I do. Which is the greater sin? You mean, isn't it how low can you go? Which is an indication of how out of sync I am with my own true nature. That I could think that um, that's all that's possible to misrepresent, to misperceive, to walk around blind and to be kind of, I mean, there's nothing beautiful in the portrait of whoever would hold those thoughts in my own mind. And I personally prefer beauty and it resonates with truth. And so To the question of how do you get to be one of the lucky seeds that actually germinates since um, when everyone pops open, it's, you know, feeding time for a lot of creatures. So all I would say is hold a high intention. You're here to serve. You're certainly not here on holiday. And... Um, our challenges are to help us evolve ourselves. I came to the awareness of why there is death, which is that we wouldn't get anything done otherwise. We need those deadlines to motivate us to create. Um, so, and again, pain pushes till the vision pulls. Hold a high intention. Right now, it's like I, I so truly believe that the energies are, the higher energies are in support of the blossoming of everyone who came back to show up at this time after God knows what abuse over lifetimes, but still found the courage to return because you knew you had a gift that no one else could offer. And that was your commitment. And you just surrendered and dedicated your life to being the highest expression of your most evolved, awakened, enlightened self, doing whatever is your particular brand of being and creating that 
group that strikes a resonance that is so elevating uh, and awakening to other people's intellecty, their inner genius. Here's here are a couple of fun words. And it's amazing. The definitions of words are changed all the time. The quality of dictionaries has descended over time. So words that I saw years ago defined in a particular way, you almost won't find them anymore. But one of those words that I think is such an essential word is spelled P-A-R-O-U-S-I-A. And when I saw it years ago, it had two definitions. One was with a lowercase p, perusia. And the definition is the presence in anything of the idea after which it was formed. So that I had to kind of slow that down in my mind. It's the divine blueprint, the presence um, in anything of the idea after which it was formed. There is a divine blueprint in every seed that turns the, the uh, acorn into an oak. And in every human being, most particularly, all of whom have the capacity to um, open to states of consciousness that expand compassion and wisdom and joy and gratitude and creativity um, uh, to such a high degree for those who desire that, that um, the pleasure you have um, just in existence and in creation is <clears throat> can't be matched by something from the outside unless it's to come together with a partner in that vibration. So Purusha, with a small p, means the presence in anything of the idea after which it was formed, the divine blueprint. And when you capitalize it, it means the second coming. So I put that coincidence together with the recognition that when we awaken to the presence within us of the divine idea of which we are formed and we we do what we do to fertilize the ground for the flowering of our being then as we awaken more and more and awaken others in the process this is what the second coming is. It's not about one super being coming for a second time. It's about all of us, the infinite in finite form coming to. We awaken, we come to. So I am quite convinced this is the time. And um, we are all participating in this event. <clears throat> Some of us chose huge obstacles to cultivate enormous qualities of being that we knew we would need to be able to offer our piece of the puzzle. So that's how I think you assure yourself of coming to, of finding your way into the fullness of your being. <clears throat> 
your complete authenticity, your depth of, of expansive unity without the egoic um, interference. And I look at the word interference as interference, interfere. That's the source of so many of our interferences. So that's what I think about how you assure that you are among the seeds that blossom and grow to your full height. Intend it and call in your guides and angels, ask for divine support, and it will be there. Well, that seems like a beautiful place to bring things to a close. So why don't we do that, at least in principle? But I thought that it, uh, I just would love to leave open 20 seconds to silence, just in case anybody who hasn't spoken, if there is a question you'd like to ask, and um, Laurel, I want to be respectful of your time. So uh, if you want to head off now, we can. Thank we you. Can I'm having that. a lovely time. <clears throat> Thank Beautiful. you. Enjoying this okay. energy. Okay. Why don't we just open this up then? I'd like to know if I'm making this up or if there is one among you who is very expressive visually and maybe less confident vocally. I guess I did just make it up. Anyway, I, I probably thought myself in there a bit. I do. Actually, I wouldn't say visual, but more written. I, when it comes to speaking, sometimes the fluency is not quite there. The, the, you know, the confidence and maybe even embodiment to really fully inhabit. So I'm often scribbling as we're talking, but then unable to quite like fully articulate um, verbally. Thank you. You just did. Oh. And so well, thank you. <laughs> and I quite understand. Um, so yeah, for a long time, I couldn't speak. I was too intimidated and didn't feel intelligent and had been told so often to be quiet and my words dismissed as having no significance that it was very hard to speak. And I didn't think I was smart at all, but someone inside me knew things and wrote well. So I felt like this other being, but I also, anyway, I don't have to go further. It looks like you're resonating with these stories. And I was so amazed to see a, a writer when I first saw it, it was, uh, attributed to the English writer, was he, or American, James Thurber, who wrote for The New Yorker, and I loved his books and articles. And uh, the statement was, I don't know what I think until I read what I write. Mm -hmm. And that's what it was for me. Um, someone would ask my opinion, I have no idea. But if I sit down and write, there it is. And I don't know when it happened, but after a while it came together. So I'm comfortable verbally. And, and part of it is being received and appreciated. 
So you know you're connecting with your message where you never could. That's the so. soil part as well, hey? That's what I was also trying to get at with this soil thing. The seed can have all the intention it wants, but it's got to meet some others on the way. You know? Well, we intention, intention magnetizes them, I do believe. And just as those little daisies growing up between the concrete, intention is very powerful. It's like oh, oh, putting intention into the web of life. And of course, it reverberates and returns. Oh, yeah. Well, intention, if we play even intention, there's a sense in which if something's intention, there is something it is in tension with, right? There is yeah. relating with other, even in the yes, very word absolutely. of that. Yes, yeah. completely. Yeah. Laurel, thank you very much. It felt so good to um, share with you all energetically. I mean, quite a scintillating massage. And thank you for, I said to a friend before, uh, earlier today, I said, I feel a bit redundant saying the same thing over and over. I'd like to be talking about things that I don't ordinarily. And you all, with your um, questions and reflections and energy and curiosity and uh, kindness toward me, um, you were very stimulating of my sharing more of my elemental nature. And that's always a lot of fun. It doesn't happen very often until more recently hasn't and now shall henceforth thanks to all of you thank you for listening and i hope you enjoyed the journey you can visit voicecraft.io to find out more about this project the network the mailing list opportunities to participate upcoming courses in the voicecraft academy as well as access the show notes for this episode as voicecraft.io. And thank you as always to the patrons of the podcast at patreon.com voicecraft. That's where you can pledge a small amount each month to support this work. And if you can't support the podcast in that way, but you value this content and appreciate its values and purpose, then leave a review or share it to someone else you think will. And to connect with Laurel and learn about her writing circles and published work via Word Magic Global, Check out the show notes at voicecraft.io. All right. Until next time. Thank you for being here.